In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If the subject of the necessity of Holy Communion were to come up in conversation these days, more than likely, it wouldn't have um, anything Catholic behind the question. Because the question probably would be about the necessity, the quote-unquote necessity, of giving everyone Holy Communion. When the church has needed to remind people of the necessity of Holy Communion, it's on a number of levels. The Lord teaches us, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. So we know on the, on the most important level, we must receive Holy Communion. When St. Thomas Aquinas takes up this question, Tertia Paris, 73rd question, 3rd article, he acknowledges that Holy Communion is necessary for salvation in a slightly different way from baptism is necessary for salvation. With the help of St. Augustine, he points out that it is possible to receive from God by his action, not our own, to receive the effects of that which we desire even before we receive the sacrament. And so receiving Holy Communion is necessary because communion with Jesus is necessary. Communion with our Lord isn't merely physical. It's communion with him entirely. It's the only means of our sanctification. And in fact, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine will uh, explain enough for for other theologians to be able to remark that in baptism is implicit the desire to receive Holy Communion. Surely children who are not allowed to receive Holy Communion are not deprived of eternal life. And so the church will make it very clear in her instructions to the faithful that once we are able to receive Holy Communion, it is necessary to receive Holy Communion. And so the conversation with, we, with which we would be more familiar from our first catechism is that we are required to receive Holy Communion at least once a year. We call it our Easter duty, and it, coinciding with that is the minimal requirement to go to Holy Confession at least once a year, to be able to be prepared to make at least one good Holy Communion. To the... To the modern Catholic, it seems entirely absurd to even speak of Easter duty because they have no compunction about receiving Holy Communion even if they haven't been to Mass last Sunday or even for six months. You can't imagine the, the, the shock it is, the seminarian might want to close his ears, when you're in a difficult parish and something awkward is happening uh, at the time of Holy Communion and it appears that someone either isn't Catholic or doesn't know how to receive Holy Communion. And when you offer to help, the person sneers at you and says, give me that. So pray for your priests and deacons and seminarians. So the church makes it very clear to us. There are different ways of receiving Holy Communion. In fact, different levels, different manners. The Roman Catechism spells this out beautifully. It's possible to receive sacramentally, which means in truth you are actually receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. 
but it's possible that that sacramental communion is unworthy. You're not in the state of grace, or you don't have affections of, uh, of love and dispositions of faith and hope in your heart. It is sacramental. It actually is the sacrament. It not only does you no good, it incurs upon you another sin to receive our Lord unworthily. It's possible to receive Holy Communion spiritually. And here we remember back to Tertia Parr's Question 73, Article 3. To, to desire this so much that God is even willing to allow you to experience some of the effects of that which you desire. Maybe it's happened when you were uh, seriously ill, if you've ever been in that situation, and not being able to come to Sunday Mass, not being able to receive Holy Communion. For me, it happened at a young enough age, and someone had introduced to me the, the, a, a beautiful spiritual act of communion, or act of spiritual communion. And I, I, I was overwhelmed to, to love God with not just all my heart and all my soul and all my strength, but to love Him above all things, to desire only to be with Him, to desire nothing but for Him to come into my heart. It, obviously, I, I loved God, I thought, but I knew I didn't love Him that well. It seemed as though, goodness, it's easier just to go to church and just receive Holy Communion than to have to pray this prayer. Well, obviously, the third way that the Roman Catechism tells us to receive is to receive sacramentally and spiritually. In fact, if it hasn't occurred to us, it will, it will sort of make us grimace that, well, of course, if I'm going to receive our Lord sacramentally, I should have all those same dispositions that I would have if I'm making an act of spiritual communion. And so it's not enough just to want Him we need to desire him truly. And that's not enough. We need to truly love him in fact. Our Lord is the pearl, the great pearl beyond all price, worth selling everything we have to have him. And not just him in addition to everything else we want and have, but to have only him. The church made this very explicit in her expectations of those receiving holy orders from the very first years of the church, from the very beginning. Even when married men were ordained, they were required to be celibate. That apostolic tradition is something we easily forget. It's especially helpful to point that out when people make a supposed claim of how Eastern traditions are always so much better than Latin traditions. The beauty of Eastern traditions is in keeping some, at least something intact instead of letting so much of the practice of the faith just simply fall apart from neglect. It would surprise everyone to know that in the Roman Catechism as well, when it teaches us about preparing for Holy Communion, not only does it teach us well how to prepare our soul for Holy Communion, certainly not only to be free from mortal sin, that's no great accomplishment, to be in the state of grace, and but to have love, active love for our Lord. It then goes on to talk about how to prepare our body to receive Holy Communion. Therein you'll expect to hear about the fast, and of course the more ancient fast, which, which the church has never fully abrogated, even when it has loosened it to two hours and now one hour, 
which is about close to the point of ridiculousness. The church has always said, but even in her legislation, not just in speeches and homilies and letters that don't necessarily have any authority, but even in her legislation, the church has said, but it's, it's, it is suggested to the faithful that they keep the old fast. Unless we allow people to make it sound onerous that you're supposed to fast from midnight until you receive Holy Communion, it's actually worth pointing out to people the, the reality of it. It means from when you wake up until you receive Holy Communion. And think of that in practical terms. It means on that given day when you're receiving Holy Communion, from the moment you wake up, you're thinking about Him. From the moment you wake up, you're preparing for Him. From the very beginning of your day, everything points to receiving Holy Communion. How could anyone sneer or object or say that that's too much? Certainly when the, when the church was dealing with the priest whose first Mass was very late in the day, she um, lessened the, the fast required of that priest. But in addition to that, in preparing the body for Holy Communion, the Roman Catechism talks about celibacy. Not just for priests, but for everybody. That married people were expected to be celibate for a few days before receiving Holy Communion. I doubt it was enforced. Sort of impossible for that to be enforced. But when people begin to suggest that that's, that's absurd, that's ridiculous, it's good to remind ourselves and others that from the very beginning, the church understood that if you are going to be this close to our Lord in the sanctuary, if you are going to handle our Lord with your, your human hands, you must be celibate, period, even if you're married. Remember when we're talking about fasting, too, when you're dealing with objectors, we, we, we reject bad things. We reject evil things. When we're dealing with good things, beautiful things, even holy things, which we decide to forego for a time. We call that fasting. We don't fast from bad things. We only fast from good and beautiful things. Then maybe your brain goes back to 1 Corinthians 7, having heard from that same letter, that same holy author, St. Paul. What does he tell married couples? It's good from time to time to be apart for prayer. Taking a, a, a long retreat, a long Ignatian retreat, obviously wasn't possible 2,000 years ago. It's entirely possible. He was talking about for the sake of, of Sunday Eucharist. For certainly, when we turn to our Lord in an act of spiritual communion, we say, Lord, I love you even, even more than I love everything else. No. The epitome of loving our Lord is, Lord, I love you, Period. And in some respects, I love only you. In fact, that's how our Lord teaches the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. They go hand in hand. We love the Lord first. We love the Lord only. And because he loves others, we love whom he loves. Now, in practical experience, we actually first love people, and then eventually we love the Lord who made those people. But eventually that turns into, I love only the Lord and everyone in his heart. And so I love everyone. Consider this truth not only in how it might awaken us to, to more of the ancient tradition, but also of some of that mischief that might come um, in the future 
those people who are asking questions about the supposed necessity of giving Holy Communion to everybody. Mischief makers usually are diligent. They, they know history sometimes better than we do. And they set traps. They're very good at setting traps. So be prepared for that person who would suggest, well, in the same way that married couples always were expected to be celibate to receive Holy Communion. So any couple can decide to be celibate for a time to be able to receive Holy Communion. And that's when we wag our index finger and say, not so quick. Because when we go to receive absolution in the confessional, we're not just saying, I'm sorry for my sins, and, I, and I'm going to do everything I can not to commit them again within the next three or four days. No. We're saying, I resolve to sin no more and to avoid the near occasion of sin. That means people must reform their lives. It's not enough just to regret our sin. We have to have a firm purpose of amendment. It means if I'm, uh, if I'm sleeping with someone with whom I'm not supposed to be sleeping, it's not enough to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay on my side of the bed for the next few days. No, it means the situation needs to be resolved. So I encourage you over the next few weeks and the next few months, pray that, that the clarity about the sacrament of penance, specifically with regard to the firm purpose of amendment, and pray that genuine Christian respect and reverence for the Blessed Sacrament grows and is known and is understood. We then present ourselves to the Lord. In point of fact, we know that all of us are unworthy, but we know that His grace makes us worthy. And baptism is adopted sons and daughters of God the Father, sanctified by His blood coming to us, through the sacraments. We know, Lord, that it is not enough for us simply to want you or to desire you. We pray that you purify our hearts, that we love you as you deserve, with all our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, with all our strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.